Yeah, man, the boys are here, the girls are here, and the muscle men are here. Bikini chicks are the bait, and romance the reward. <laughs> friends welcome back to the sail on podcast this is wyatt in nashville joined by my buddy jason howdy friends and today we're gonna talk about a lot of things but we're gonna talk about some emails and then before that we're gonna talk about some shout outs that we have for you guys so we played a few shows with our beach boys tribute group called sail on And I wanted to say hello and thanks to a few people that uh, came out that were podcast listeners. Number one, Chuck Hayes came out to see us in Los Angeles. And uh, he's a longtime listener and he's written in those amazing stories to the the podcast and we really love having him. So uh, it was awesome to get to meet him, share a beer and hear a lot of his cool stories about living in LA and meeting the Beach Boys and seeing them at all these amazing places and venues and that was really special um and also uh want to say thanks to jason in maryville tennessee for bringing his family out and coming and seeing us play and hanging out and that was really awesome to talk to you buddy and uh we'll hopefully see you again next time we're in east tennessee and if you're planning on coming out we got a couple shows coming up next week jason where are we going all right, we are playing two awesome gigs next week, Wyatt. We're playing November 1st in Minocqua, Wisconsin at the Campanile Auditorium. And then we are playing on November 2nd at the Burlington Capitol Theater in Burlington, Iowa. Awesome. So if you're uh, up in Minocqua, Wisconsin, and you're not completely snowed in, you should come see us play some songs about the beach and surfing and, you know melt those winter blues away because i feel like it's going to be nice and and uh nice and cold up there when we get there we've got a few emails coming in and by a few i mean hundreds so i'm really sorry if i don't get to your email right away uh but thank you very much for writing i read every one of them and i really appreciate it uh so we're going to start off with an email from shane arnold shane says hey guys shane from new york here I've been listening for a while, and I thought I'd write in. First of all, I'm loving the podcast and really enjoying how in-depth you guys get with all the material. It's really nice to hear fellow Beach Boys nerds talking about them. Your love of the band and spreading your knowledge about associated guys like Gary Usher has been really great and interesting to hear. I'm also a great fan of the Explorers Club stuff, especially songs like Don't Forget the Sun, which is one of my favorite song endings. My Beach Boys journey started out like a lot of younger listeners. My parents grew up in the 80s and had the Made in the USA compilation album. His parents grew up in the 80s. Man, this guy's young. Yeah, wow. (laughs) They're they're my age. This is ridiculous. Right. Made in the USA compilation album, the one with the awesome cheese fest that is rock and roll to the rescue. And I remember being a little kid and just wanting to listen to Wouldn't It Be Nice over and over again. 
As a kid and teenager, though, I used to think they were a silly surf rock band since that's what my parents thought of them. But as I heard and was amazed by more of their songs through the years, first Surfer Girl, and then Appreciation for California Girls, then God Only Knows. And as my musical knowledge grew, I began to like them more and more. Finally, in my freshman year in college, late one night about a year ago, I listened to Pet Sounds with two of my friends. And even though we'd listened to it before, this time it really hit me how amazing it was, which may or may not have been influenced by <clears throat> other things one tries in college. Well, you know, that's just a side here. That's uh, Brian was token on the dube um, <laughs> when he wrote Pet Sounds, so you're not completely out of line there. And from then on, I was hooked for good. I realized that Brian Wilson and I shared way more in common than I would have thought. And songs like Till I Die and I Just Wasn't Made for These Times quickly became go-to songs for me, especially after seeing his story in Love and Mercy and the Brian Wilson songwriter documentary. From then, I just listened to more and more of their stuff and quickly fell for albums like Sunflower and Holland. Yes. As well as songs like Warmth of the Sun and Hushabye. <clears throat> well, you're doing it right, young Shane. Listening to the Smile version of Surf's Up was a borderline religious experience for me the first time I heard it. It was one of the most emotional experiences I've ever gotten from a piece of music and basically confirmed that this was my new favorite band. The band's amazingly frustrating and depressing yet redemptive storyline has become more and more intriguing to me, and I'd love to see how you guys tackle all the crazy chapters their career took. Whether it's the highs of today and pet sounds, the lows of summer in paradise, or the true ascension to godliness that will be surfing earth. <laughs> Hope this email wasn't too long, and looking forward to future episodes. Shane. Hey Shane, thank you so much for the uh, incredible email. You know, it's interesting your journey with the Beach Boys isn't too far off from, from mine. Um, I mean, I was into the surfing stuff when I was little, like you were talking about. Although I actually grew up in the 80s, like your parents. So I remember those, those 80s compilations really well. But, you know, in college is when I really got serious about like Holland and Love You and MIU and stuff like that. So I can definitely relate to that as well they're a band that always stuck with me though i was stuck in one zone of their time period for a long time and then you know when i was about a teenager i started getting a little more into stuff and smile and all that stuff which it's interesting you were talking about how surfs up was a religious experience i'll be honest with you the first time i heard surfs up in the context of the smile bootlegs I had, it kind of scared me. The whole the whole record was not, it was like a spooky movie to me. I was like, this is kind of eerie, weird stuff. Like that's, because I think part of it was the, the sound quality of the ones I had kind of made it that way. But anyway, really great email. Thanks for the great compliment about Don't Forget the Sun. Uh, yeah, I like that ending too. It's really cool. I had a lot of fun recording that a long time ago. Um, so yeah, thank you for the awesome email, Shane. Keep on discovering the cool stuff. I mean, eventually you'll just be listening to the Beach Boys version of Wipeout over and over again. That's all I do. So yeah, we've, uh, we've gone way down the rabbit hole to the point where we've come out on the other end. So it's a scary place to be, but Shane, really, thank you, man. Honestly, it really, it really is awesome to hear your story. And um, I got chills reading your email because those stories are what, you know, really drives this fandom and uh, gives us something to talk about. 
because just when you think you found your favorite song or your favorite album, you'll you'll dive into something else and about, it'll just surprise about. you, man. Yeah, you just you find out that the fat boys were involved and then it, you know, really changes everything. So anyway, but I'm glad you mentioned Rock and Roll to the Rescue. Nobody's mentioned that song yet, and uh I'm excited to spend at least two or three episodes talking about that. So Bob Dylan. Next up, Lauren Merch says, Hi, Wyatt and Jason. I've been a Beach Boys fan since I was a kid. I'm 26 now. You are a kid, Lauren, but never began to get into their catalog until I bought Pet Sounds when I was 22. I was a huge Beatles fan, still am, but Pet Sounds absolutely knocked me out, and I was listening to it multiple times a day. This, of course, led to an obsessive spiral into the Smile Sessions and into the Pet Sounds box set. I have since began collecting vinyl when I can and getting into the lesser-known Pet Sounds post-Pet Sounds albums. One point I would like to bring up is their evolving use of the California myth. Their early career is marked by surfing and hot rod records and essentially promoting this idea of Southern California as a hip ocean paradise. Of course, this idea is alluring and still influences how people think about California. The California Saga trilogy on Holland represents a shift from car surfing girls as paradise to the rugged Central Coast Big Sur as paradise. The emphasis on natural beauty, the persistence of nature, and the use of Central Coast poet Robinson Jeffers' poem, The Beaks of Eagles, all emphasize the expansion of the California myth to the natural world. Mike Love's Big Sur is certainly one of his finest moments as a lyricist. Furthermore, the boys established musical continuity between their earlier work and Holland with the use of the bass line from California Girls in Al Jardine's California Saga, California. I love the podcast and I'm learning so much more than I have ever been able to up to this point. I dig the Explorers Club as well. Great work. And I also look forward to learning tons more in the future. Lauren Merch. Well, Lauren, really cool. Really cool thoughts about the California myth there. Uh, I mean, I think part of that was they knew that was part of their identity as a band, so they definitely had to evolve. And I think probably, especially coming from like Mike Love and Al Jardine, they knew that like being from California was a big selling point of their music, and that's what America wanted to hear from the Beach Boys. So they definitely tried to expand on that as much as they could. Um, You know, it follows them their whole career. Just about every album has some song and with California references on it. So, you know, it's just in keeping with their continuity. So great eye, great ear. uh, Absolutely. And uh, yeah, the whole pet sounds into smile is, is a very, very um, typical, but awesome journey that a lot of you know beach boys fans take so that's really great i'm stoked that pet sounds knocked you out like it did me for sure yeah hey uh thanks lauren i really enjoyed your email and um hopefully you caught our al jardine tribute last time around um because uh i definitely feel like he was the ultimate uh, representation of California from the Beach Boys. You know, you had Dennis who really brought the surfing songs at first. And then, you know, Mike definitely explored those themes as well. Um, moving into the more, you know, uh, nature conscious uh, songs. But I think Al really was the true California Beach Boy. I mean, he loved nature. He, he wanted to be as far away from the city life as he could. But he just, uh, he wrote some great songs um, about California and about 
the history of California. And I also would recommend to anybody the book uh, Nearest Faraway Place, uh, which has a lot of cool, um, you know, backstory on California and the California myth. Really special and something that I really appreciated growing as a fan and learning about. Coming up next, we have an email from Ed Sheaf. Hey guys, found your podcast just this week, catching up on the episodes. Wonderful. I'm 62 years old, and among my friends and musician peers here in Michigan, I don't know anybody who loves this music like I do or knows anything except the radio hits. So I feel like I've found new friends. Yeah, it's an illusion, but I'll take my Beach Boys conversation any way I can get it. I saw them at the Calvin College Fieldhouse in 1974. A wonderful memory. I was 17 years old. With regard to your Surf and USA album discussion, it might help to keep this in mind. In the early 60s, information about SoCal culture was difficult to find. A beach movie in a theater that you could watch once start to finish, pictures in a magazine, etc. That was pretty much it. So to hold a record like Surf and USA in your hands, to put it on your stereo and hear those sounds, this was pure exotica. I imagine that for most people, this was quite literally, quite literally their only exposure to surf culture making the entire experience romantic. Stare at the picture on the album cover while you listen and try and imagine what life was like way out west, where they were apparently spending all their time at the beach. It would probably not have occurred to them to question anything, to wonder why there were so many instrumentals to critique the music. They would just have taken the whole thing, and it was like getting a letter from a faraway place. Anyway, just a thought. Very much looking forward to the rest of your podcast. Ed Sheaf, Holland, Michigan. That's a cool place. We should play a show in Holland, Michigan. But all I'm going to play is Steamboat <laughs> over and over again. Uh, I want to say quickly that um, just I, I chose this email as well because not only does Ed mention the beach movies, but he also mentions the California myth. So um, really cool to tie those things in from a young, you know, maybe third generation Beach Boys fan to an original Beach Boys fan. Kind of really cool to have those perspectives and... Uh, I really love what Ed says about surfing USA. Um, And yeah, I mean, I try often to think about what it would be like to be, you know, 13, 14 years old and hear this music for the first time and see the album and just, you know, being from the Southeastern USA, not understanding, you know, this culture and kind of this being the gateway to that. It's it's intriguing and, and exciting. And man, Holland, Michigan, that's really cool. Thanks for the email, Ed. What really stood out to me in the email was the fact that you used the term, it was pure exotica. Um, I know that's kind of a funny thing to, to kind of hang on, but I really dig that use and descriptive terminology because, you know, I, I can imagine when you're young and you're hearing this stuff for the first time, and especially in that era, you know, I've, I've said this before on another episode of the podcast. I had a friend of mine tell me, he said when he first heard the guitar intro from Surfing USA coming over his speakers and his radio in his parents' car when he was a kid, it was like alien music to him. He's like, what is that sound? So I completely get it. Awesome. Thanks for the email. All right. So <clears throat> we'll stop there with the emails, but uh, you guys, thanks very much always for writing. Um, you can write in at sailonpodcast at gmail.com. And I love hearing from you guys. Tell us your favorite Beach Boys album, how you discovered the band, 
you know, your experiences seeing the band live or meeting them, anything like that. We love that stuff. So keep it coming. <clears throat> that brings us to today's topic, um, which is kind of a wide topic, but I wanted to try and focus on a few aspects of it. Um, wanted to talk about the beach films of the 1960s. Um, more specifically, the um, AIP, American International Pictures, beach films that were shot in the early to mid-60s. AIP made about 12 films between 1963 and 1968 that were uh, directed by William Asher and scored by Les Baxter. And uh, basically, they took the idea that was started with the movie Gidget, which was about like a surfing girl and kind of was a beach setting and teenagers, and it did really well. So they wanted to kind of capitalize on that fad, as well as, you know, the Beach Boys coming out um, and the surf scene and the surf music scene just kind of exploding in 1963, they decided to start making some films. So uh, they enlisted Nick Vinay to kind of uh, oversee the music, and he called up uh, who else but Gary Usher, because Brian Wilson was you know, kind of the main guy at the time, but he was really busy at the time. They were touring a lot and doing Beach Boys records, and... Um, Gary was kind of, you know, more of a studio guy and was just an LA guy who was just kind of doing everything he could. And as you may know from our Gary Usher episode, he was the most prolific in the genre. I mean, he did hundreds of songs and dozens of albums. Uh, it all started December, 1962. And Gary says, Nick approached me and said, I'm going to do you a favor. How would you like to be in the movies? I replied, I love it. The next thing he said was, all right, I'll put you in touch with a friend of mine who will get your songs in a movie. It could be a big thing for you. Nick told me the person I had to see was Al Sims at American International Pictures. So I went over and made an appointment mentioning Nick Benet's name. Now, Al was an older gentleman in his 40s, graying at the temples, but a good-looking guy. He had a limp or a back problem and carried this beautifully hand-carved cane. It was always by his side. Every time he talked or emphasized something, he'd whack the desk with his cane, causing everything to rattle. He was the most intimidating person I'd ever met in my life. So Gary came in wearing white surfer pants, as they called them back in the day, I think just white jeans, yeah. and he was carrying his guitar. And Gary wasn't a great solo performer, but Sims was like, hey, I want to hear some songs right now. So Gary obliged. And uh, he played a few songs that he was working on, and Sims really liked it. And he outlined the deal right then and there. He said... You know, there would be no payment for the music's inclusion in the films, but he would still receive the performance rights, and he would also be paid to be an extra in the film itself. This excited Gary, and uh, he struggled to prove himself to his family and friends back home, so this was a way he could show that he made it by being in an actual Hollywood movie. Um, he accepted the deal and was given total creative control over the music. Sims told him how many songs he needed and what they should be about, and Sim's final word to Gary was, you know how to surf, right? <laughs> and Gary lied and said, oh, yeah, of course I do. Sim said, good, report to Muscle Beach January 2nd, which was 10 days away. So Gary freaked out and needed some moral support. So he went straight to his new songwriting partner, an L.A. radio DJ named Roger Christian. So um, we're coming full circle here. We've talked about both Gary and Roger, and we know that they have been big players in the Beach Boys career. So um, it's cool to see that they came together to work on this project. Uh, so January 2nd came, and the two 
songwriters traveled to Muscle Beach, which is just up the coast from Malibu. It's a popular spot to shoot uh, beach movies back in the day. And it was 6 a.m. It was incredibly cold. Director Bill Asher was shouting through the megaphone, all surfers in the water. Uh, I should also mention that um, Dennis Wilson was living with Gary Usher at the time. Um, So he tried to get Dennis to show him how to surf, uh, but it didn't really happen. And he ventured out maybe once or twice before uh, heading out to Muscle Beach. Um, Gary says, All I had learned about surfing was from Dennis. I had my hot cars and I knew that scene well because I had begun dragging on the weekends, but I didn't know a thing about surfing. Anyway, Roger said, Look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run at full speed, jump on the board like everybody else. That we can do, okay? Then a wave comes in, and we'll just flip off it and kind of laugh about it. And the other professional surfers will catch the waves. We'll be a novelty, and they won't even notice us. The assistant director soon noticed Gary and Roger out past the brakes, not surfing, and he called for them to come in closer and get on the action. While Annette and Frankie were filming, take after take, the surfers remained in the icy water for nearly two hours. Gary says, it seemed like I'd been out in the water forever. I'd never been a beach or water person, and so I began shaking uncontrollably. The water was freezing. My lips were beginning to turn blue, and I had no feeling in my legs. I was going, in a, I was going into a mild state of shock. I'd never been so cold in my life, and I didn't know what to do. Roger paddled over to me and asked whether I was all right. I told him I didn't think so. I couldn't stop shaking. At this time, the guy on the megaphone kept screaming at us. And then finally, Roger decided that he had better get me out of the water in case I drowned. So he pushed me into the shore and dragged me off my board. Just as Bill Asher yelled, cut, cut, what are you guys doing? So much drama. Poor Roger replied, he doesn't feel good. And Asher screamed back, who's the guy who doesn't feel good? What's his story? You guys are holding up shooting. I was so embarrassed. (laughs) Gary and Roger were kept out of the water, but were still involved on set for other scenes. Gary says, we were getting paid every day, but the company wasn't keeping track of who everybody was and where they were. So Roger and I would pull some of the most incredible stunts. For example, the rocks they had on the beach were hollow, gigantic styrofoam forms. And I remember one time we were inside one of those with flashlights writing lyrics to hot rock songs. We also hid in the back of the woody and lay down and write. We were working on the inside sets. We'd climb up on the rafters or hide under the beds in the beach house. So... They wrote three songs for this film. Uh, The film was called Beach Party. Um, So they wrote the title track, uh, which was sung by uh, Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello, the stars of the film. We've got an early start. We're going to have a ball. We're going to ride the surf. And that ain't all. Tonight. 
He also wrote Secret Surfing Spot and Surfing and a Swingin', which were both sung by Dick Dale. These songs were all really silly, um, you know, very typical of what Gary was writing at the time. I think, you know, uh, what I've said before about Gary is that he was just very prolific and he worked a lot in Hollywood. He worked quickly and he had a group of musicians that he could use. And um, he was he was a fast producer and um, he kind of cranked out these uh, surf rock hits. So um, this particular film was kind of just testing the waters for you know doing these future films and trying to make a franchise out of it um, gary used either his own musicians usually members of the indigos or whatever studio musicians were booked for the session by the label the other songs were written mostly by guy hemrick and jerry steimer who would go on to write all the songs for these beach movies after gary um, stopped his involvement uh, when it came time for the second beach film called muscle beach party Roger had the idea to ask Brian Wilson if he would like to write some of the songs with him and Gary. And Gary was into the idea as well. So one night when Roger got off work at KFWB, the three of the boys went down to the Rovell house and wrote six songs in one night. The songs were uh, Surfer's Holiday, which is performed by Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. And that opened up the movie. Recycled from a Bob and Sherry song that Brian co-wrote called Right Away, which was never released. Uh, and then I picked up on the fact that this also was reused as Amusement Parks USA. Um, not the exact melody, but the chord structure and some of the ideas in it were definitely taken from this song. You can certainly hear the Amusement Parks USA in it. These tracks were cut by the Wrecking Crew at Western and Sunset. So the tracks are really nice. Um, there was never really a soundtrack release for this movie. I think they kind of dropped the ball on that. The, but uh, both Frankie and Annette released some of these songs on their own solo works, you know, just as um, solo artists with different tracks usually. Yeah, was Frankie and Annette, I bet they were on two different labels. They were, um, and Annette was kind of on on loan from Disney yeah. at the time too. Because you know, it, um, it's interesting you bring that up, and this is kind of correlates a similar era, maybe about ten years earlier. But you know, one of the most famous Christmas movies ever, White Christmas, does not have an official soundtrack, which it has great songs in it, and there's versions of all the songs on solo albums by all the singers in that movie, but they were on different labels. So there's no official soundtrack to the, one of the most popular movies ever, which is hilarious to me. Um, 
so kind of similar situation we have going on here. You know, there's this, all these cool surf tunes that this would have been a really cool, like little, I'm sure it would have sold really well at the time too. It's silly. They didn't do that. Yeah. It's, it's just an oversight. I think the label just wasn't, as far as I can tell from my research, the label just wasn't equipped to deal with putting out a soundtrack or licensing the music or anything like that. They just, they just couldn't do it. Um, you know, so, you know, the, the songs that are in the movie you have to watch the movie to to hear them. And a lot of times there's, you know, dialogue going on over the top. So there's no real sources for the actual tracks. Um, there's obviously other places you can hear the songs, but the actual movie songs are only in the movie. Um, so anyway, Surfer's Holiday is kind of fun. It's probably my favorite song on this uh, soundtrack. It's not, you know, obviously Brian wrote these songs very quickly I think, you know, this was sort of a let's just pound these out and make this money type thing. Brian wasn't really involved in the production of the songs at all. Although, um, you know, Gary and his band were sometimes involved. And then also the Honeys came in and did some backing vocals um, with Annette. So that's kind of cool because Gary obviously was dating the lead singer of the Honeys, Ginger Blake. So that's always fun. Um, Another tie in. But um the uh, next song that they did was called Runnin' Wild, which was performed by Frankie Avalon near the end of the film. If you really want to swing, you can't visit the place to go. This one was recycled into Do You Remember? Because, you know, back in the day, Brian used to do that a lot. He would either, you know, write a song that never got released or write a song and then, you know, kind of come up with a different idea for it and redo it as a different artist or whatever the case may be. Um, He ripped himself off a good bit. Um, Running Wild's fine. I mean, it it reminds me kind of like of a Donovan song or something. It makes, it makes sense in the context of the movie. I watched the whole film. Um, I got it on Blu-ray, actually, but you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, I think you can rent it for, like, $2.99. So I, I'd say, like, if you're really interested in it, um, you can see uh, all these songs in the movie. Dick Dale's band is in it. And also you can spot uh, Gary Usher and Roger Christian in the movie, which is really fun. Um, you can see Gary kind of as a bartender, and you can see Roger Christian just as kind of a patron in the club near the end of the film. And uh, I thought that was really cool. What I was thinking with Running Run Wild, it really reminds me of Elvis movie music, the way it's recorded. Um, and I, I bring that up because I'm a big Elvis fan and I have all the movie soundtracks and I've watched all the movies. And, you know, when we were kind of looking at stuff for this episode, I was like, oh, yeah, it's the same production rules that they had on those Elvis movies where you couldn't use reverb on the lead vocals in the movie versions of the songs. And 
it just had really similar sounds. I guess it's wrecking. You said it was wrecking crew who was doing the stuff for the movie. So, yep. So, I mean, it's going to be the same players, same guitar sounds. And they really, especially at this period, loved all the wild saxophone playing. Oh yeah, they did. Yeah. So, I mean, if you watch, you know, some of my favorite Elvis movies like girls, 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 or, you know, even Viva Las Vegas or any of that stuff. Uh, so much wild saxophone. Oh yeah. And, and it's just funny that they kind of copied the formula, um, for those tunes for this. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of lowest common denominator, you know, it's not super exciting or intricate, but it's, uh, very, uh, it's very, it works really well for the movie. It's, you know, it appeals to a lot of different genres and people. Um, but, um, uh, up next is My First Love, which is performed by Dick Dale in the movie. And uh, you can see a little bit of that in the movie trailer. Um, and then uh, Gary put this on one of his records as the Superstocks. You can have your girls in silly romances now, but on a way this world, I'll take my chances now. When the surf is breaking, you know I'm ready, girl. this is a pretty cool song you can definitely hear a lot of gary in this song it's definitely one of gary's melodies I'm not sure how much Brian had to do with it. Um, I dig it. It's cool. The Dick Dale version is fun. And that fits into the movie really well. um, Because it kind of goes along with the theme. That's going on there. Um, This guy not wanting to be tied down. Um, And uh, the movie is pretty ridiculous. It's it's about kind of like this... like. He-Man contest, which is why it's called Muscle Beach Party, and uh, there's all these yeah. weird little instances in it and side stories and stuff. I mean, Buddy Hackett's in it and uh, Don Rickles. Yeah. Um, it actually features the first film appearance of Little Stevie Wonder. Love it. Which is very cool. And then also another fun fact is that it is the last film that uh, Peter Lorre appeared in while he was alive. So uh, that's a fun fact as well. Moving on to the title track, Muscle Beach Party, um, which we've talked about before because it's a Brian song, and Brian actually recycled this song from Car Crazy Cutie and before that, Pamela Jean. This is my favorite one. Yeah, it's it's a good song, man. I, I enjoy it too. It's got a lot of uh, Brian sort of melodic instances in it, so that's always fun. But again, obviously, Brian's just like, yeah, I've got this song I've used a couple times before. Let's just go for it. Everybody's working out on the sand from the latest dance craze to a wild handstand. Now, well, last year was great now, but this year is better. You better grab your chick or else a muscle and I'll get her. Flex your muscles for kicks now, now, now. Gotta hustle the chicks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take your vitamin pill now. He was writing Shutdown Volume 2 at this time, and he had all these great melodies and ideas that he was not going to use on this stupid beach movie, that's for sure. So, um, 
But I really enjoy uh, this song, and I like the version on the movie. But I also, you can check out Annette's version, which is on her album. And also, Frankie did a version too, so on his album. So, like we said, like they're kind of going back and forth doing their own thing and trying to capitalize on these movies. Annette was uh, doing a ton of movies at the time. She's also doing the Disney movies. She also did the, uh, the Monkey's Uncle, which we talked about before because the Beach Boys did the title track and appeared in that movie, and that's awesome. And uh, Brian didn't write that song, but I think the, the recording and uh, the performance is fantastic. So It's the best beach party recording for any like beach movie of all those keen beach movies. Totally the best sounding one. Yeah, they had a little more money, I think. You know, it was a Disney picture, so... Um, this, uh, this, the AIP stuff was pretty low budget, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, like I said, it sounds like those Elvis movies, which were thrown, yep. to, thrown together, like, super quick. Right, yeah, it obviously was. And uh, the next one in the movie is called Muscle Bustle. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> this one's funny. <laughs> yeah, and it was never really released... Um, Again, like the movie version was never released. I think Annette did it on one of her albums, but the movie version was done by Donna Lauren with Dick Dale's band. It's on a Donna Lauren album, actually. Okay, gotcha. Um, so a lot of these times, you know, these artists that would do the song in the movie would would redo the song on their own, on their own records, and that's what happened here in two different cases. And even though Annette didn't sing it, she put it on one of her records. Wild sax. <laughs> it's always, it's always wild sax, man. Uh, everywhere, sax sells, you know. Yeah. Nothing much going on here. I feel like this could have originally been the Muscle Beach Party theme that he kind of recycled into something else because Ryan's song was way better. So that's that's my theory. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, so <laughs> the the last song on here is called Surfing Woody, and uh, this song is not to be confused with. My Little Surfin' Woody by Gary Usher. This is a separate song, and it's only in the movie. It was never released anywhere else, and it was, like, done a cappella. My little surfing Woody is the cleanest on the street With a fuel-injected Chrysler Now she's really hard to beat Whoa, 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 whoa So I don't know. Like I'm, I'm assuming they recorded a full version of this song that never got issued and never made it into the film. So, um, again, not much going on here. But there's a lot of uh, instances where uh, the uh, the composer for the films, Les Baxter, did like sort of like orchestral arrangements of some of these surf songs in the film, which is kind of fun to hear. Um, you hear them pop up every now and then. But otherwise, man, the music's super simple. Um, it's used in the movie kind of like in a musical format. Like they're either performing it in a club or 
they're just sitting around and somebody starts singing, you know, stuff like that. Um, and the movie itself is, is really silly and stupid, but, um, I think it's a lot of fun to see, um, not only just, you know, to hear the music, but I, I love, I love seeing Gary and Roger in this film. I didn't get the chance to watch uh, beach party. The first one, I didn't see Gary and Roger in that, but if you watch this, look especially at the sort of like the last big scene where they're in the club and Dick Dale's playing. You can see Gary like clapping over to the side and then Gary's like behind the bar. Um, he's hamming it up, man. He loves being on screen and stuff. Um, and you can see Roger wearing a yellow shirt hanging out near Gary and like smoking cigarettes and stuff. It's just so awesome to see those guys in the flesh, you know, um, on film. I, th I thought it was really cool because he's not super known for it, but you know, all this, all the songs in the movie with Dick Dale doing vocals. Cause you know, he's such a renowned, uh, instrumentalist, but he right. really, he really is selling it in the movie. Like he's just, you know, getting down and kind of doing goofy, goofy, groovy dances, which again, to me is almost like, man, I wonder if he just really had to, kind of step outside of his element to do all the uh dance moves and stuff yeah um yeah i mean it was it, you know they were they were counting on him to be like another big selling factor of the movies they used him in the trailers a lot and all that kind of thing because he's like a really good looking guy he was like a prominent figure in the surf music scene so um yeah i mean that was a big part of it and uh, i love the art direction on these movies man the kids are wearing like awesome you know, clothes all the time, like really bright colors. Um, the hairstyles crack me up too. Um, and, How about uh, the, the one guy in Dick Dale's band who has just blonde top of his hair. Right. Where like, yep. <laughs> you've got, he died, like he dyed his hair and then like got a haircut or whatever. Yeah. I mean, something, something wild's going on there, yeah. but it's a uh, highly entertaining i think i'm gonna go for that i'm going to get my hair cut tomorrow oh so nice I'm gonna yeah you should definitely go for that bleach and then i want her to dye the sides black perfect yeah that's gonna be a great look um <laughs> so uh yeah i mean like i said no soundtrack was ever issued for this for this movie which is interesting but um uh you know moving al moving along like gary's involvement kind of like waned um over the next couple movies they did um he used his project group called the hondells we've talked about before he used them in the next couple of beach movies um as well as some movies for other uh other studios like there was uh the movie called beach ball which i mentioned before that i saw a trailer for on like one of those amc classics or something when i was a kid and just was like what is that that sounds like the beach boys who is that and it was like a quick thing and i it made me go search out the hondells and i found a hondells cd somewhere but um uh the beach boys uh also appeared in a paramount film a year later called girls on the beach um and uh they there was no new music for this but it was uh them performing girls on the beach at the beginning and then uh, there's a scene of them doing little Honda kind of in a party and, uh, also Brian Wilson doing lonely sea, um, kind of on the beach, which is a really cool scene. Y'all should check that out if you can. Um, a lot of these movies are very hard to find online. There's some of them on iTunes, some of them on YouTube, um, and other services like voodoo and stuff. And you can also find DVDs for some of these online, but, uh, you know, 
again, I don't think anybody's watching these for the mo- for the movie itself at this point. Um, but just the overall feel, the style, uh, the music, the attitude. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Um, and it really helps you understand more of that kind of California myth that all these, you know, studios were trying to perpetuate because it sold like crazy. Um, kids loved going to see these movies and they loved the fantasy of California and hot girls in bikinis and surfing hot rods and beach boys. Yeah. And, you know, growing up for me in the eighties, like we mentioned earlier, I saw a lot of these Annette and Frankie movies, Frankie and Annette movies on TV on whether it was Saturday afternoon, randomly during the summertime. Cause see, I grew up at the coast. So the local TV channel would sometimes play some of these old movies. Um, so I saw them there, saw them on cable and I was always intrigued and was like, Oh, you know, I wish, I wish it was still like that, you know? Um, and so it's pretty cool to kind of revisit them with you, Wyatt. Uh, it brings back actually really a lot of memories. Cause I remember, my mom really liked Frankie and Annette when we were little because my mom's from Florida. So they grew up with the beach movies when she was a kid in the 60s. That was that was the movies you went to see with your friends. Yeah, it's it's another cool aspect of uh, growing up back then that, that we missed out on. But um, yeah, we got to live through a little bit of it um, through reruns and all that. But um, very cool stuff. Uh, something I wanted to touch on for sure. I know... Uh, there's a lot more to dig into if you really like that genre of movie. Um, there's dozens of these movies that were made in the 60s. Um, there's even one they made like years later called Back to the Beach with Frankie Annette. Annette. Oh, so, um, man. But um, yeah, I mean, the Beach Boys weren't really involved directly in this stuff, but it's cool to know that Brian had his hand in some of this music and um, especially that, you know, the stories of Gary and Roger getting involved is, is always exciting. Um, that whole scene is always really fun to hear about and talk about. So hope you guys like this episode and let us know what else you want to talk about with us. Um, next time we're going to talk about the Beach Boys today. So I think that's going to be really good because it's a really great record. Sometimes so, the best Beach Boys album, question mark. It was my favorite for a long time. I'll put it that way. But yep. um I think you're there it, there with a lot of people. Yeah, um so we're going to split it up into two parts. We're going to talk about side A and then we're talking about side B because they are very different and there's a lot to get into besides the music just talking about what the Beach Boys were going through. Um in the late 1964, early 1965 era. Tumultuous times. Crazy stuff happening in the world of the Beach Boys. So stay tuned for that. We are looking forward to it. And I hope you are too. Please write us, like I said, at salonpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us a voicemail. Call us at 615-606-3887. And you can find us online at salon.podbean.com. And as always, our music is by Will C. WillCmusic.com. We'll see you guys next time. Sail on, sailors. <laughs>